welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 3rd of August 2014, entitled, Keep Calm and Carry the Name. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Here's Brother TJ Gritz. I'm going to start off with a really tough question for you guys. It's going to be a tough one for you guys to answer, okay? Who here has a name? I see... I have three people who say they have a name. Who, who here has a name? Everyone has a name, right? And your name means something. It could mean something good. Hopefully it, it means when people think of your name, they think of something good, right? That's what we all would like to have. When people think of our name, they think, oh, good thoughts of, of, of me. They hear TJ. I'm, I'm hoping they're not thinking, man, I don't like that guy. That guy is weird. He is, he is just crazy. But I want them to think of, of my name. I want them to think... Of good things, and when he, when you say a name in each each one of every one of our minds, a certain name, a certain feeling pops up, right? So I'm going to say some names and just I, I want you guys to to talk back to me. Is that okay? Is that right? You're going to talk back to me because otherwise it's going to get really awkward for me up here because I'm going to standing here in silence. Okay, so um, I'm going to say a name and you guys just say anyone can say what pops into your mind about this name. Okay. So let's uh, let's say Winston Churchill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so things pop into your mind as soon as I say that name, right? You think of something, right? Okay. Let's, let's think of the next one. Um, Albert Einstein. <laughs> All right. Let's go with another one. Um, a guy named Donald Trump. Money, the guy with the really really bad hair, very very rich. Yeah, <laughs> big buildings, skyscrapers. I mean, this guy is rich upon upon all rich. What from earthly standpoint, he is rich like crazy. All right, uh, let's think of another one. Um, there's this name, Angelina Jolie. Anyone does that ring a bell to anyone? Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. Yeah, she's an actress. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, what, what the, all these these names I've just given you, something has popped into your mind. Whether you said anything or you didn't, something popped into your mind. Whether you like this person, you don't like this person, what this person's associated with, what they're not associated with, what they've done, what they haven't done. Um, but those are obviously famous people that a lot of people know. But if I just said a name, of, of just John, what would you think? Son-in-law, apostle. <laughs> well, if I said the name uh, Jeff, anything, anything come to mind with you guys? Just Jeff? You don't know Jeff? Yeah. But the thing is, when I want to get across to you, it, when, when I say these names, it means something to you. Something comes to mind when these names are said. And it can be good, like I said, or it can be bad. And this morning, I want, I want to share with you guys, um, in Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be, at Acts chapter 9. I want to share with you guys uh, a guy by the, who had his name one way, then it got changed another. His name was Saul, and his name was changed to Paul. I want to share with you guys is, is Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 19. 
In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters uh, to Damascus, to the synagogues, that he found any of this way, which is what? Of this way is what? Christians, those who are following the name of Jesus Christ. If find any one of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? And he, and, and he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go in the city, and it, and it shall be told thee where thou must go. And the, man which, and the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus a name named Ananias, and, and, said, and, the, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he has seen a vision of a man in Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard, heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints in Jerusalem. And here, here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that come call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show you how, much, how, much, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands upon him, said, Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the, in the way that thou camest, hath sent me, that thou might receive thy sight, and be, be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it been, scales, and received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. And when he had received meat, and he was strengthened, then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus." So this is a, is a crazy story of the conversion of Saul, and I, it's, it's definitely one that will stick out in your mind, right? Because I don't know about you, but I don't see many people around here today being blinded with the, with the light from heaven, and then going in and someone has to go pray so they can, they can receive their healing. Has anyone ever seen that lately? No? No, I haven't seen that lately. So this is an absolutely amazing conversion of, of arguably the greatest human missionary to ever walk this earth. I mean, you can go through his epistles, you can go through his life, and you can see what God did through Paul. The churches that were started, the lives that were impacted for the glory of God. It's amazing to see this man's life. But Paul is now carrying a different name. He's no, lo- no longer carrying the name of, of, of his religion. He's now carrying the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus has said, I've given you something specific to do for me in your life. But the thing is, it's not just Paul who is now carrying that name. We all here have accepted Christ as our Savior. We are now carrying the name of Jesus Christ with us. Wherever we go, whatever we get into, 
We're not carrying our name. We're carrying the name of Jesus with us. And that is a great impact upon our lives and those we, we interact with. But if we're going to carry this name of Christ, if, if we say, well, you might say, TJ, but that's a big thing for me to do. Because Paul, you know, he was this great earthly missionary. He never did anything wrong. But I always mess up. I want to tell you, it's okay to mess up. It's not okay to stay messed up. If we mess up, we have to ask for forgiveness and carry on going with, with what God has called us to do. And we all carry that name of Christ. And when we do carry that name of Christ, there's three areas I see from Paul's conversion that we can apply to our lives that will be challenged. And when we're done with this, if, if these three areas have not, if you're not being challenged by these three areas, you really need to see if you are really following God. The first area that we're going to be challenged in is simply our position. It's going to be our position. You see, uh, Saul, it says in, in the beginning of, of Acts chapter 9, it says here that Saul is still breathing out threatenings against the church. Breathing out threatenings against those who want to follow Jesus. Saul was steadfastly against the people of Jesus and Jesus himself. Don't get it wrong. Saul, when, when you see Saul before he became Paul, he was not someone that we would want to meet at all. We don't want anything to do with him. I read this, and it, it, this, this gave a glimpse into maybe what Paul might have said if someone told him about the name of Jesus Christ. And it goes to say like this, that, he, that, that Paul might say this, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is dead. He is 100% dead. Do you expect me to believe that a crucified nobody is a promised Messiah? According to our law, anybody who's hung on a tree is cursed. So really, would God take a cursed false prophet and make him the Messiah? Really? You're telling me that? His followers are preaching that Jesus is both alive and doing miracles through them, but their power comes from Satan and not God. This is a dangerous sect, and I intend to eliminate it before it destroys our historic Jewish faith. This is the kind of man Saul was. I mean, if you, you look at Saul, he, he had the position. I mean, he's grown up in the, 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 the religious elite of this day. He had all the money he wanted. He had all the power he wanted. He had all the prestige he wanted. He, would, he had everything you could possibly want in life. Saul had it. That was until, until he met Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to challenge your position. You think you are so right. You think you are so good in your religious ways. But I'm going to challenge you that your position should not be above me. You may think that you're above me, but you're not above me. Because Saul is now Paul. He's now, his life is nothing like what it used to be. It's completely changed, 100% changed. Like I said, Saul was a man of wealth and power position. He had everything at his disposal. He had the education. I mean, you want to talk about getting the highest education possible? Paul had it. He was the smartest guy around. He had all the money, and he had all the materials needed to make any journey that he wanted. In fact, if you turn over with me to, to Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. 
It's going to give us just a glimpse into what Paul said about his life, about what it was before God challenged his position. In Philippians chapter 3 and verses 4 through 6, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh. What? What does he say? I more. I had way more than anyone else could possibly ever want. I had more position than anyone else could want. I had more wealth than anyone could want. I was more than any, anyone else who's trusting in themselves. That's what he's saying. In verse 5, it says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching a law of Pharisee. I mean, he's saying, I, not, only did I ha- not only did I have more and I was better than everyone else, I had the, the, the family line to prove it. I was in Israel. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. He's, he's tracing his history back, saying, look how good I was. No one else was as good as me. In verse 6, he goes on, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the right of righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. I did everything humanly possible to be the best person I could. But the thing is, when he met Jesus, that position in life where he thought he should be, was completely challenged. And God blew it completely out of the water. Basically, God says, you have nothing to stand on. You could be the best person in the world, but compared to Jesus, you are nothing. He just blew Paul's uh, foundation in life completely out, and we need to realize our position with Christ. He has to be first. Amen? I got two people who agree. Does God have should be should God be first in our life? He should be first in our life. He's the ruler of the universe. Do you understand that? Everything we can see, everything we can see with with telescopes, everything that we can see, the furthest we can see, God made that. So why would we not willing just 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 based on that? Why would we not be willing to say, God, I'm going to put you first? Because, God, you are way bigger than I could ever be. God directs our lives, and we're to follow him. When Saul met God, his position was challenged, and he knew instantly that God was bigger than he was. Did you catch that back in Acts chapter 9? Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Instantly, when Paul, when Saul met God, instantly he knew, well, you, you are way bigger than me. In Acts chapter 9, verse 5, This is Paul speaking. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And what that means, that Lord means, it means you are someone way bigger than me. He knew instantly. Uh Uh-oh. That's basically what he's saying. Whoa, no. I am, you are way bigger than me. You are the Lord. You, you, You are it. Paul realizes this and he says, who are you, Lord? And from this point of Paul's life, or should we say uh, the life that God gives him now is completely different. Because when we come to realize that God is so big and who he is, it's never us living our life, is it? Because God created us, God directs us, God guides us, God provides for us. So really, we're living the life that God has given us. It's never our life And thank God. It's always God and what he wants for us. 
And we can see, if we go back to Philippians real quick, because Paul, he said, you know, this, this is what my life was before Christ. This is what my position was before I met Jesus. And then he goes a step further in Philippians chapter 3, in 7 through 11, he talks about what his, what his life is like now. In verse 7, he says, but, okay, so he's just finished this is what I was like before. I had everything. I had all the, the heritage, the lineage. I had everything. I, I, was, I, was, I was the best. He said, but what things were gained to me, those things that, that were good in life, I counted loss for Christ. They doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God by faith. That I, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He's saying, everything I had before, it is nothing simply compared to knowing Christ. I had it all. My position was set. I was, uh, I was doing what the law, what the man said I should do. I was doing it all. But when I met Christ, man, it's nothing. Compared to living for Christ, doing what Christ has called me to do, all the other stuff, forget it. He says I count it as dung. It's absolutely nothing. It's worthless. So as we live for Christ and as Paul says to know him more, we cannot come to any other conclusion that our position in Christ should be, should be below Christ. Amen? That everything else is nothing compared to knowing Christ. So in the light of what Jesus did for all of us on the cross, then we should be falling on our knees and giving everything to him. So if we're going to live for Christ, if we're going to carry this name of Christ, then our, our, our position is going to be challenged. Consistently, every day, we should be getting up and saying, God, you are so holy. You are amazing. Lord, let me live for you. The next area is our faith. It is our faith. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 10 through 18, uh, we see Ananias. And uh, Ananias, I like Ananias because he's real, Okay. What he says is, is, I like it a lot. Basically, God comes to him and said, hey, you've got to go to this, this, this place and you've got to uh, pray over this man, man named Saul. And what does Ananias say to God? Like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, God. God, uh, I've heard of this guy and he does not like me. If I go in there, God, he's going he's gonna to arrest me. He's going to take me back to wherever. I'm probably going to die. God, I'm going to be tortured. I don't want to go there. You see, right here, Ananias' faith is going to be stretched. Does Ananias trust God, have enough faith in God to simply go and interact with Saul? Because because Ananias could say, yes, God, I trust you. I believe you. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. But there's still that element of saying, what if? What's going to happen to me when I step out and do this, God? Are you going to be there for me? Am I going to be okay? 
We're thank, thankful for Ananias. Because without Ananias, probably we would not be here. If he wasn't following God's direction and calling in his life, we probably wouldn't be here today. Because we always have people to thank that came before us. That were willing to step out in faith and do what God has called them to do. And we see there in Acts chapter 9 that, that Ananias does go. He eventually goes. And uh, what I love about, about what, what God says to Ananias is uh, gives him instructions that are very, very to the point. There you go. Does that make sense? Okay. He says, go to this guy's house on a street named Straight. He doesn't say simply just go walk around and hopefully you'll find it. God says, go to this guy's house, gives him the name of the house, gives him the name of the guy, and gives him the street name. I mean, how, how to the point is that? But yet still Ananias was like, whoa, I, uh, that's a little scary. But he still goes, right? We see that he goes and he does exactly what God has called him to do. And you may think that the... That, 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 um, it's not just Ananias here that his faith gets stretched and he has to trust God, but Paul also has to trust God. Because in, if you go to Acts chapter 9 and verse 20, Acts chapter 9 and verse 20, says, and straightway he preached, this, this is after Ananias has come and prayed over uh, Saul, and now he is, he's had something to eat and he's ready to go. He said, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither to intent that he should bring them bound under the chief priests? So Paul here has this moment where he's, he's, he's heard from God, he believes God, he's seen God work in his life already, and he steps out and says, I want to tell people about Jesus. And straight away people are like, Whoa, wait a minute, isn't that isn't that, that guy? That's, that's not a nice guy. I don't know if I can believe that guy. What do you think Paul, Paul thought at that moment? He's out there telling them about Jesus, and they're already pushing back on him, saying, no, I don't want to hear it. Do you think that, that Paul's faith is stretched at this moment? He goes on to tell it. He, he, didn't, he didn't give up. He said, God's called me, and I'm going to keep stepping out, and I'm going to keep telling people about Jesus Christ. And we keep telling people about the love of Jesus Christ. Our faith will be stretched when we come to realize our position in Christ. When Paul realized his position in Christ, his faith straight away was tested. And God will use every situation to help us trust him more. I could sit here for hours and tell you the times that God has stretched my faith. And I'm sure you could sit there and tell me for hours the time God has stretched your faith. And when it comes to those times when we're like, God, do I step out? Because I don't know what's at the other side. That's the time when we look back and see, God, where you've already provided for me. You've already shown, shown me yourself to be faithful. Those times we look back and we say, yes, God. And then we just simply turn around and we step out and we follow whatever God calls us to do. Believe me, I, I don't like, um, I want to say don't like, but I'm not comfortable standing up and talking in front of people. God has stretched my faith when I do it. And every time I get up, I can look back and see where God, what God has done in my life. And whatever it is in your life today, whatever you're feeling like God is calling you to do this step out, and you just got to do it. 
Because there's no way to find out if God is going to provide for you whether if you don't step out. God doesn't want people just to sit. God wants to use people who are moving, who are actively doing whatever he's called you to do. And so we have our position is challenged if we're going to be carrying the name of Jesus Christ. We see that our faith will be challenged. And the last thing we're going to see here is simply that our focus, our focus will be challenged. So we've seen here that Paul has a past, right? He has a past. What, what was he doing in his past? Anyone tell me? Persecuting the church. He was going around to anyone who was talking about this, this Jesus guy who was dead, quote unquote, and he's arresting them, torturing them, killing them, getting them to say, hey, renounce Jesus and I'll let you go. That's his past. And we all have a past. Amen? Do you have a past before Christ? Before you came to Jesus Christ, we all had a past in the things that we did, things that we said. And oftentimes when we start living for Christ and say, oh God, I want to carry your name to wherever it is you're calling me to do, go. And, and we start to step out, Satan will all of a sudden come and he will say, you remember what you used to do? You can't be doing what you're doing. You're going to live for Jesus. Do you remember what you used to say? What you used to do? How can, how can you go ahead and do this when, when you've done this in your life? How can you go ahead and forgive this person and you haven't forgiven this person in your old life? And our focus will begin to start to shift off of God and start to shift back onto what we used to. And I feel, I feel like that Satan did the same thing to Paul in his life. Because if you start reading through the epistles and reading through what, what Paul is writing, over and over and over again, he starts to talk about what he used to do, what his past used to be like. And I'm going to go through some scriptures here with you. In, in Acts, Acts 7.58, uh, <clears throat> Paul is, is, Saul is now a witness of the stoning of Stephen. Back when he's a kid, he's holding all the coats of the people that are going over to stone Stephen and kill Stephen. And what that is representing is that Saul was condoning. He's saying, yes, that's okay. I'll hold your coats while you go kill a servant of God. Right there, do you think that's enough to maybe get your focus off God? If Satan comes and said, do you remember what you used to do? You're going to carry the name of Jesus Christ. Yet you... you, you you said it was okay for all these other people to kill a servant of God. What are you thinking? Can you really serve God? In, uh, in Acts 8, 3, it says, and, and as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Acts 26, 9 through 11. He said he did a lot of opposition in the name of Jesus. He actually did this in Jerusalem. He locked up people in prison uh, since he received authority from the chief priest to do so. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, it says, I am the least of the apostles. I am the least of the apostles that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. In Galatians 1.13, it says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. I went above and beyond 
to go against the name of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.6, he says that he's a persecutor of the church. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he said he was a blasphemer of Jesus. So Saul had a past. And he never forgot his past. And the thing is, if we spend too much time on what we used to do, if, we're too, if, if, if God is standing here and we're too, too busy looking over here, what are we not looking at? We're not looking at God, right? We're constantly looking at everything we used to do, our whole life and what we used to say. And we're not looking forward to God and saying, God, you are making me into a new person day after day after day. And I'm just going to follow you no matter where you lead me. So just as Paul was challenged by Satan, we also have to, will have to face this challenge. We will have to face it. If, you had a, if you've had a sinful and difficult past, then Satan will probably try to bring that up in, in your life, in your mind. It's a tactic trying to get your focus off of following and carrying the name of Jesus Christ. Like I said, he would simply say, you cannot do that when you've done all this. There's no way that, that following God, you can do that when you have done all these bad things to people. All these bad things to Christians. You said all these things about Christians. How can, you, how can you possibly follow God? What he will do with that, the result of that, he will try and make, use our past to make us feel unworthy of God's calling in our life. Because if we're too busy focusing on the past, we're going to start to feel, God, I'm, I, I can't follow you. It's no longer Satan saying it to us, it's us saying it to ourselves. God, I, I've done too much bad. I just, I, I'm just going to give up, God, because this is too hard. I've done too bad, too, too much stuff that to really, really follow you. But God never says that, right? Is it a good thing that God never looks at our past and say, whoa, I'd save you, but you really went over a line there, and I just can't forgive that line. Does, he, does God say that? Or does it say that the cross of Christ and the blood of Christ cleanses all unrighteousness? He takes care of every sin. He puts our sin as far as the east is to the west. Can you get from the east? Can, does the east and the west ever meet? It never meets. Because as far as east you go, what's ahead of you? The more east, the more... You will never catch the West. Does that make sense? So when God says, I have, I have taken the, the sin from you and I've put it as far as the East is from the West, what does that mean? It's gone. You will, it will never attach itself to you again. Your old life, your sin, when you accept Christ your Savior, it is gone. Never to return. So if Satan it's today, if Satan is trying to get your focus off of him onto, onto all your past of what you've done, simply tell Satan, man, it's, it's gone. You cannot bring that up again because I am now living for Christ. I'm carrying the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to follow him and Satan, just leave me alone. Well, maybe you haven't had this, this sinful past in your life. Maybe you've grown up in a, in a healthy Christian environment. Satan will use that against you also. Satan will use that in a way that he will say, well, just be content with your life. You, you, you had a pretty good past. Just, just, just stay where you're at. Don't push out onto anything. 
Don't 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 really want to don't don't grow in God just because you're saved. So just just stay. And that's a scary situation to be in. When you already know what the Word of God says, and you say, "I'm just going to stay still." That's not a good situation to be in. In Revelation, God talks about, I'd rather you were, you were, you were for God or against God. I don't want you to be just a stagnant thing because if you do, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. God's actually saying that I'd rather you be against me than not doing anything. Is that not an amazing statement from God? How he doesn't want these, people, these Christians that are just sitting on the fence saying, I'll follow you on this part, but God, I'm going to do my own thing over here. I'll follow you on this part, God, but I'll do my... God says, get off the fence either way. I don't care. Of course, he'd rather us live for him, right? But what he's saying is, get off of the fence. Follow me. Because if you're just going to sit on the fence, I'm, just, I'm, just gonna, I'm, I'm not going to do anything with you. Because God always works with people who are doing something. You looked all through the Bible... When God calls someone, when God says, I've got a plan for you, they are doing something. Whether they're trying to live for God or they're not living for God at all, right? Because God used Saul, and what was Saul doing at the time? He was going against the church. He was doing something, right? And God says, you know what? I can use you because you're doing something, and I'm going to turn it all the way around for my glory. But either way, we need to remember that it's God's name that we bear now. We're not our own. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says we were bought with a price. We're not our own, right? The cross of Christ purchased our life. Romans 12, 1-2 through two says we need to renew our minds daily. And how do we renew our minds daily? Can anyone tell me? The Word of God. Prayer, fellowship with other believers, renewing our mind daily, getting into the Word of God. And that, that renewing, what that word renewing means, it means to completely empty and change for the better. So when it says to renew your mind daily, it's saying whatever that junk and stuff that's in your mind from the day before, get rid of it. Just empty it out and put the Word of God back in. Because the Word of God says it will never return void in our lives. So if we're constantly putting the Word of God into our lives, it's going to change our lives. Because this is, is, is this just, just a normal book? Is this just a normal book? No, these are the living words of God. It's powerful than any two-edged sword, what the Bible says. It gets right to the heart of our lives, and it will change our lives. And that's why Paul says to renew your mind daily. To renew something, it has to be living. You want to renew it, do something different with it. We are to follow in Paul's footsteps in this also. In uh, Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul says that he has, he has forgotten his past. He, he's dealt with that past. He's dealt with that issue of, of Satan trying to bring that back and get his focus off. He says, I am focused 100% of God, on God. And I forgot my past and all the sin that's around me that, that makes me trip. I put it to the side and my focus is 100% on God. He also talks about that he, he, uh, he presses towards the mark of the finish line and to keep the prize in sight. And what, what is this prize he's talking about? 
It's a lot of things. First and foremost, it's heaven. Paul's life was, it really wasn't for anything on this earth. Paul's life was all in the direction as I'm going to heaven and I'm going to see Christ face to face. And that's everything he did in his life was for that goal. Everything he said, everything he did was for the goal of I want to know Christ more and I want to love Christ and I want to see Christ one day. But not only is it heaven, it's, it's being counted faithful by God. We all want to hear at the end of the time what the Bible says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And God, simply we get to God and God says, good job. You didn't waver, you didn't fall. You carried on and lived for my name. You carried my name until the end. Also the prize here on earth is, is, is a rich relationship with God. A full relationship with God. So we have to keep our focus on what God has called us to do for him and not lose sight of who we are in Christ. It's no longer us, but the Christ that lives in us. Our past is gone. Our focus should be on God and not on our past. So I have to ask you this morning is simply, are you allowing Christ to shine through you? When people see you, when people hear about your name, what are they thinking? Are they thinking, man, that's, they're a follower of Jesus. This, they go to church all the time. Man, there's something different about them. They, everything about their life is just, just different. Or are they saying, man, they go to church, but man, you should see them when they're not at church. They are messed up. They, they talk about Jesus once in a while, but it doesn't show anything. To them, it's, it's, just, it's just fake. Are we representing Christ's name in a manner that makes God proud? In our talk, in our actions, in our thoughts, in everything in our lives, is it honoring God? Because if we have to justify what we're doing to ourselves, then we're probably not honoring God in that. We have to constantly keep defending what we're doing then is it really honoring God? Because if our life is going to honor God, we can allow God to defend ourselves. We don't have to say anything like, oh, well, I could do it here. But I could. No, if we're, if we're going to follow God and allow God to glorify himself through our lives, we have to say, I'll let God defend myself. Because if I'm living right, I won't need to. So many people claim to be Christian. They claim the name of Christ, but then blatantly go against the teachings in the word of God. And they all want to serve themselves and their own interests. If we bear the name of Christ, then we ought to live up to the standard that God has set for us. So let me challenge you. Are you proclaiming the name that God gave you? Are you growing in the faith? And are you keeping him as your focus? Or are you still hanging on to our earthly identification? So when people hear your name... Do they associate Christ with your name? Let's pray. Hey, grace, Father God, Lord, I love you, God. I thank you. Thank you, God, for the life of Saul and the life of Paul. Lord, I, I, I praise you that, that you worked in his life. 
that you gave him something to do, you gave him a direction. Lord, thank you for his faith. Lord, that his, his focus was on you, that his position was correct. Lord, and let that be a challenge to us, God. Let there be a challenge that, that every day that, that we are understanding, God, where you are in our lives, and that is 100% first in our lives. That every situation, God, that we, we, we turn to you and we see where, that's, where that needs to happen. Lord, I pray that our faith is stretched, Lord, in a good way that we get to see at the end, Lord, how you were in everything in our lives. And Lord, help us to keep our focus on you. Lord, give us the, the strength and the patience and the wisdom and the faith, Lord, that when it comes to the time when Satan tries to, to get our focus off you, God, that we can keep our focus on, on you and not look back. Not look back to our old lives, Lord, but keep looking forward to you and allowing you to change our hearts and our lives through your word and through our fellowship. Lord, I love you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.